It is good that we can all be together today. And so I'm glad to see you here as we come for this time to worship God together. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here and invite you to be back with us on many future occasions as you're able. We're always glad to have you here. We remind the children of their uh, continuing programs on Sunday evenings, the Mission Kids Bible Study and Choir Practice from 5.30 to 7 this evening, and the Adult Bible Studies as well. Um, our kindergarten and first graders are in need of a Sunday school teacher for the month of October. If you can help, please sign up outside their classroom or see Katie Jeter today. The United Methodist Men Pancake Supper is on Tuesday night at 6.30 in the Family Life Center. Tickets are $7, available online or through one of the Methodist men or at the door. Uh, I'm told that there will be uh, uh, plenty there, so hope that you can be here for that. Uh, to this afternoon at 2 o'clock, we will be gathering here for the funeral of Dr. Neil Weiss. Um, and for that reason, we will not be having our Council on Ministries meeting today at 4, nor will be, we be having membership at 3. Um, so we invite you to be present uh, instead for the funeral at 2 o'clock. Let us at this time begin our time together in worship.
Our affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and stood at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. This time we'd like to invite the children to come forward uh, to join Robbie Septon for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. Everybody doing good this morning? Good, good. Do you know what this is? This is kind of funny looking one because it's camouflaged, but you know what that? Do you remember the last time you guys wore a life jacket? I remember when you were wearing one. What were we doing when we had a life jacket on? In the boat, that's right, that's right. Riding in a boat's probably one of my favorite things, most favorite things to do. I like to ride in a boat, go fishing, to go just riding, to go water skiing, whatever it may be. I love to ride in a boat. A boat? A microphone. Say hey. <laughs> Say hey. Well, anyway, if you're on a boat, you always want to make sure you wear your life jacket. And we're getting towards the end of the boating season. You don't? One day you will, and you better wear that life jacket. Just cover your bases, okay? <clears throat> the other thing, what else would we might want to do if we're getting ready to go on a boat? Any other ideas? Make sure we're with a grown-up, that's right. Make sure maybe we have gas in the boat. And there's a thing called a plug that you put in the back of the boat. Make sure the water doesn't come in the boat. But we always want to check the weather. And this is my favorite time of year to go in the boat. But we've got to watch out for thunderstorms this time of year. And me and Miss Lauren and uh, Mr. Kevin and Miss Allison were in a boat probably about two weeks ago. And we were just cruising along and everything was fine and good. And then all of a sudden a thunderstorm came over and water was coming into the boat faster than we could get it out. And everybody was scared. Well, everybody but me was scared. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and the waves were pushing us towards the bank and we didn't know what we were going to do. We had the pumping the water back out and it just kept coming in and coming in and once upon a time Jesus was in a boat with his disciples and the same thing was happening the, the waves were crashing in it was a storm anybody remember what Jesus was doing during this time any guesses he was sleeping here I am trying to figure out I'm, I'm hoping for the best and preparing for the worst and Jesus was in the same situation he was sleeping and the scripture says he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And that comes from Mark 4. You know, whether we're in a boat or not, whenever we have the storms that come in and they toss and turn our boat, whether we might be sick or something going on bad at school, we can always turn to Jesus, and he will quiet our storms. So let's say a quick prayer, and then we'll head back to our seats. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those times when you calm the storms that come up in our daily lives. We also thank you for those times when you give us peace, even though we are in the middle of a storm. We ask you to watch over us and keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Yesterday, I got a phone call from a desperate Sunday school teacher named Mary Lee who was looking up some information, and, and I had not ever noticed anything before, which is interesting for Bible reading and whatnot. You know, the, people are always asking the joke, how many people, how many of each thing did Moses take on the ark? And of course, the joke is Moses didn't have an ark. It was Noah. But everybody always says Noah took two of each animal on the boat. Did you know that's not true? I'll let you go back and find out what I did yesterday. Uh, in some cases, that's not right. It was more than that that he took. So that's in the early part of Genesis. Go check it out. Um, today, the reading is from Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. Here ends the lesson. This time we're very privileged to join in the sacrament of holy baptism for Tyler Glenn Hansen, son of Shane and Ashley Hansen, and the little brother of Andrew. So we invite them to come forward at this time and any in the family that also would like to come to stand with us now. Dearly beloved, baptism is an outward and visible sign of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which grace we become partakers of his righteousness and heirs of life eternal. Those receiving the sacrament are thereby marked as Christian disciples and initiated into the fellowship of Christ's holy church. Our Lord has expressly given to little children a place among the people of God, which holy privilege must not be denied them. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he said, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I invite you to turn, if you haven't already, to page 44 for a part that I'm going to ask of you in a moment. Beloved, do you in presenting this child for holy baptism confess your faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If so, will you say we do? Yes. 
Do you therefore accept as your bounden duty and privilege to live before this child a life that becomes the gospel, to exercise all godly care, that he be brought up in the Christian faith, that he be taught the Holy Scriptures, and that he learn to give reverent attendance upon the private and public worship of God? If so, will you say, we do? Will you endeavor to keep this child under the ministry and guidance of the church until he, by the power of God, shall accept for himself the gift of salvation and be confirmed as a full and responsible member of Christ's holy church? If so, will you say, we will? What name is given this child? I told Shane I'd be sending him a bill for the back brace I'll have to get up. We are being blessed right now with a wonderful outpouring of opportunities to celebrate baptism of little infants. And I tell you what, there's no better way to grow a church from, than from the nursery up. So y'all, uh, I commend that to you. Okay, from the book of Philippians chapter 1, we now read our epistle lesson, uh, verses 21 through 30. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. 
Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, often we pray at our funeral services that we ask you to help us to live as those who are prepared to die and enable us to die as those who go forth to live so that living or dying, our life may be in you. And we hear those words echoed in Paul's letter to his friends, the Philippians. We hear him wrestling with the call to serve here on earth versus being carried on into your presence. We are thankful for Paul's good example as he reminds us that to live, we live for Christ, and at death, we have even more to gain. We are thankful for that because death is all around us always with our friends and even in our own families. And yes, when we are given the opportunity to think about it, we face the fact that it's a part of our journey as well. So we pray, Lord, that we might be able to echo the words of the apostle, that for us to live means that we will live for Christ and for us to die will be greater gain. And may we too also be those who feel a bit torn between staying here or moving on into eternity. May our faith in you be so great that that is how we anticipate the journey that is yet to come for us. And we are thankful for this. We're also so very grateful for your perceived unfairness. We are so grateful that you are not only a God of justice, but that you are also a God of mercy. For indeed, if you were not at times a little unfair, none of us here would ever know of your grace and your mercy and your care. All of us would be outside the circle of your family, outside the possibility of redemption. So we thank you for that apparent unfairness that you have decided upon for all people that we might experience not just justice, but mercy and grace and forgiveness. And we pray, Lord, that you would keep us aware of that so that we might be in our lifetimes, like has been quoted before, that we are just a beggar who has found the source of food, who goes into the world to show other beggars where they might find food. We who have found the bread of life, help us, Lord, so to live that others find the way to the table of your love also. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us worship God by giving.
gospel reading for the day is from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. So he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> One of the things that I thoroughly enjoyed in life was being a parent. Penny and I love our children. We spent lots of time with them when they were young and we still love spending lots of time with them now, even though one is 11 hours away from us now up in Indiana, and the other one is over in Charlotte. But I especially enjoyed it when they were very young and just being normal children. You know, crying, fighting, and being mad at each other and mad at their parents. I guess I saw my children as puzzles and I've always liked trying to solve a puzzle when I see one. I often found that the sharpest tool in my arsenal as a parent was the element of surprise. Sometime when they expected me to respond one way to something that they did or said, I would surprise them by doing something very unexpected. It stopped them in their tracks. It threw them off their game, and it won one for the old dad. One thing you will discover about children is that they are natural-born accountants. They keep a tally of the good things that you do for their brothers or sisters, and they hold you accountable to do the same thing for them in order to even the score. They also notice what other parents do for their children, and they expect you to do the same. Otherwise, they will tell you, it's just not fair, Daddy. Their accounting system is somewhat flawed, however, because they will forget it when you do something nice for them first that puts them ahead of their siblings, and so they will be upset at you when you balance the score by doing something finally for their sibling. Heaven forbid that you should treat them equally on any occasion especially when one of them didn't quite deserve to be treated that way like the other one. Jesus traveled from place to place telling people what life could be like for them 
if they moved themselves into the altered reality known as the kingdom of God. One of the things he constantly ran into was some child of God whose accounting system was offended by the new standards of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was a place where forgiveness flowed like a flood, cleansing outcasts, prodigal sons, and sinners. It was a place where conflicts could be settled by turning the other cheek instead of striving to get even. Things like that offended those who valued justice above all else. The kingdom of God was a reality where those who believe in Jesus will never die. That offended the Sadducees who did not believe that there was a life after death. The kingdom of God is a place where miracles can happen, where God supplies our needs, and therefore it is a place where it is no longer necessary to step on whoever you have to to get ahead in life. In fact, the kingdom of God is a place where being generous toward others is the way to get plenty for yourself. In short, the old rules of the world don't apply in the kingdom of God. It is a place of unexpected good surprises. And one of the good surprises in the kingdom is that God would be much more generous than some thought that he ought to be. Giving the same rewards to those who repented late in life as he did to those who had served God faithfully from the earliest days of their youth. God was going to do this, Jesus said, because it all belonged to God, and therefore God could do with his as he pleased. For this reason, to address that perceived unfairness, Jesus told the parable of the workers in the vineyard. The kingdom of God is like a landowner, Jesus said, who hired people to go to work in his vineyard. At sunrise, he hired a crew of people who agreed to work the entire day for a day's wage. Still, he needed more workers, and so the landowner went out at, went out at 9 o'clock in the morning and found a second group of unemployed folks, and he immediately hired them, promising them only a fair wage. At noon and again at 3 p.m., Jesus went back into the market and invited another group of workers to go out into the field to work for him, promising them a fair wage. Finally, one hour before quitting time, the landowner went to the market and found another group of unemployed people. Why have you been standing here doing nothing all day, asked the owner. Because no one offered us the opportunity to work, they replied. Will you go and work in my vineyard said the owner. When evening came, the landowner began to pay his workers, beginning with those who had worked only one hour. He generously paid those men a day's wages. He did the same with those who had worked three hours and six hours. The group that had worked for 12 hours in the hot sun knew they deserved more pay and they expected more. So they were very disappointed when all they received was what they had been promised. That isn't fair, they complained. But the owner of the vineyard replied, I'm not being unfair. I told you that I would pay you a denarius for a day's work, and you agreed. Now I have paid you exactly what I promised. What business is it of yours what I pay the others? It is my land, my vineyard, my money, and if I want to pay the others the same as I paid you, can't I do that? Or is my generosity making you envious? Isn't it interesting that the uh, issue of fairness came up not because some were in plenty while others were in total loss and in need, but because some felt they deserved a greater reward after they all got the same thing. And they begrudged those that they considered less worthy uh, for getting that same reward. It does sound like children in our homes, doesn't it? God loves all of his children, 
all of us just the same equally. He loved those who had been faithful to their religion from the very earliest days of their lives, like the religious folk, the Pharisees, and some of us. But God also loved those who had run away from him, like the prodigal son. He also loved those that came back to him very late in life, late in the day, like those workers who came at the 11th hour. The all-day workers could not accept the fact that God could be that gracious and accepting, nor were they willing to accept those latecomers. Now, from time to time, I hear Christian people complain about the fact that it just isn't fair that they've made so many sacrifices for Christ all of their lives, and yet people who accept Christ on their deathbeds are given the same reward that they're getting. They say, I had to give up all my vices when I became a Christian, and for my whole life I've done without doing those sins. Now this person who got to do all those things I gave up wants to come late in life and become a Christian, and that's not fair. I just about laugh out loud when I hear somebody say that because I think about all the incorrect assumptions that they're making. The first wrong assumption is that they're envying the people that got to do that wrong all their lives as if sin was some kind of good fun stuff, and it isn't. Sin is deadly. That would be like a four-year-old complaining that his parents won't let him go play out on the interstate. He doesn't understand that's a place of danger. Sin is a place of danger. What makes sin, sin, is that it hurts you and others. God the Father doesn't want to see you getting hurt. Those who squander their lives, sinning all their days, are to be pitied, not envied. They will forever carry the scars of their mistakes with them. Those who remain faithful to God are spared so many pains and regrets. Plus, a life well lived in service of God is a blessing to so many people. Those who repent at the last moment of their lives have left a, a path of destruction everywhere they've gone in life. The second wrong assumption in the statement is that uh, the assumption that righteous ones deserve God's love and sinners don't. God's love and salvation are not things that we get because we deserve them. They're gifts from God, unmerited, gracious gifts from God to us and to all of his children. Saints and sinners alike may enter God's vineyard only on the basis of the fact that he invites us and his love is without end. The third wrong assumption when someone says it's not fair is the fact that we're all sinners who've been saved by God's grace. Some of us might not be as notorious a sinner as someone else, but we're all sinners to some extent. If we didn't receive salvation by God's gracious gift alone, none of us would get it. We're all sinners. Something else that Jesus is telling us in this parable is the fact that it's not too late ever for anybody. God continuously goes into the marketplace of our lives to invite people to come into his vineyard. He was there at the first light of your first day, already calling you. God was there in your childhood and also during your youth and young adult days. He has continued coming to you your whole life. You may have missed his first, second, third, or fourth calls, but God hasn't stopped calling you to come to him. It is not too late for anyone to become a follower of Jesus Christ, for God will continue calling your name, hoping that you will hear. And it's never too late either to answer God's call to become a leader in his church. God pours out his spirit on all flesh, young and old, men and women. Perhaps God is calling you to teach Sunday school or a Bible study and you're saying, but I've never done that before and it's too late for me. Guess what? It's never too late. God might be calling you. It is never too late to answer God's call to preach the gospel either. There are men and women in their 40s and 50s 
who are hearing God's call to become United Methodist pastors today. My uncle, James Rufus Holt, was a latecomer to the Methodist ministry. He was a successful merchant, a manager at Belk's over in Union. He raised a house full of children. When they would come for a visit, it strained the resources of my household just to have them in the house. Uh, one of them was even adopted. In 1957, Dr. A. McKay Brabham was appointed as the pastor over at Grace United Methodist Church, or it was, it was then Grace Methodist Church in Union. Years later, Dr. Brabham wrote this about my uncle. Brother Rufus disclosed his feeling that he had long ago been called to the ministry. He also revealed his certainty that his life would not be complete without his responding to that call. And so in 1960, at the age of 58, Uncle Rufus began preparing for the ministry and received his first appointment in our annual conference. He served the church until his retirement at age 70. It wasn't too late for Uncle Rufus at the age of 58 to respond to Jesus' invitation to go to work in the vineyard, and it's not too late for you. Jesus concluded this parable with the land, landowner asking the workers who had labored all day long, does my generosity make you envious? It was Jesus' way of asking the very religious people of his day, are you going to pout with God just because God has chosen to be more generous than you expected towards sinners? Have you forgotten that God was also very generous toward you? If God graciously allowed us to enter his vineyard at 6 in the morning or at 9 o'clock, why should we even care if God allows others to enter later on? And if God has chosen to be gracious to sinners, why shouldn't the righteous rejoice with God that his lost children have been found? Why indeed. Amen. Amen.